Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. And welcome to another episode of the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. We are within days now of Roland Garros 2020 starting. And joining us on the TC Live Podcast from the TC family, Russ Thaler. Russ, thanks for joining. Happy to be here. Excited to do it. Let's go. First time guest. We're going to get into RG in just a second. But Russ, starting with the U.S. Open, which just finished, Mm -hmm. I wanted to pick your brain because you got to call some matches there, how... That experience was, uh, there was a couple of good ones. I remember specifically Nakashima and Zverev listening in on that call, calling with Jill Kravis, who's been on our show, Taylor Dent, one of your partners. What was that experience like? It it had to be just about as out of a broadcasting experience as you could think of. It was really weird and really cool, and I hope it only happens once in my <laughs> lifetime. Um, you know, I grew up going to that as, event as a fan. I'm from the New York area. So I grew up in North Jersey going to the U S open every year. So it was heartbreaking to not have fans around. That being said, we felt completely safe without the fans around because the USTA did such a really good job of Mm -hmm. making sure we were all tested, making sure all our food was, you know, single serve, making sure everything was sort of really locked down. But from a broadcast experience, it was the first time I ever called the tennis match without my co-commentator in the same room. Mm. So that was a little weird, but we did have cameras where we could see each other and actually talk to each other. The grounds were for the players and kind of for us, I guess. Like, so you kind of had the run of the place, which was pretty awesome. Uh, And the tennis, I thought, look, men's championship match aside, and there were a lot of reasons why the level wasn't what it could have been, but I thought the level of tennis was spectacular for for two weeks. I mean... It gets to the point where it, it's almost you know underappreciated how professional these players are, mm-hmm. and there was and there is an opportunity. Any player that doesn't want to play doesn't have to. You're not going to be judged, and you're clearly not going to lose ranking points. Everybody there went to win, went to compete, and that's where I think we're at with with Roland Garros too. The players that are going made that commitment, and I agree with you. The level was was higher than I think a lot of people expected it from the very bottom up. You had some really compelling matchups, and you had players that. If there's one surprising thing, Russ, it's that they came in shape and that they were clearly working to get back to the stage. I was really worried specifically about the men playing best of five, mm-hmm. having all that time off, and then just being thrown directly into the fire of that kind of grueling enterprise. But I will say, to your point, we didn't see the cramping defaults. We didn't see really lack of fitness from anyone. I would say Dominic team cramping in the final was more of an emotional thing than a physical thing. I think he was prepared physically to go five in that final. I think emotionally it took a toll on him. That final is they're going to have to write a book or make a documentary about all the ups and downs in that one. Uh, And just the, just a final note on that, Russ, personal question. When the Djokovic incident happened, were you on the air? Were you at the ground? Were you kind of around because I have to imagine that's about as breaking news at a major as uh, I was. Happen. I was around. I wasn't on the air, but I was actually up in uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium's media 
boxes preparing to be on air. So I was actually watching it as it happened. And I think like most any tennis fan and certainly most anyone who's around the game knew immediately that he was done. The, yeah. the minute it, it struck the lineswoman mm-hmm. and she went down, yeah. it was pretty obvious that he was done. Now, we're, the moment it happened, you're also thinking, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my. This is becoming this is now the story. Right. right. That's that's what you were thinking. But it was surreal. In a weird way, I think it was mitigated by the fact that there weren't fans. You know, at the U.S. Oh, Open. Oh, that could have been, yeah. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. And we've seen it in past at the U.S. Open where conversations are happening. The fans can't hear what's going on mm-hmm. because Arthur Ashe Stadium is, is cavernous. Yeah. So then they just start booing, and it turns into much more of a debacle. I think because there were no fans, it actually sort of helped suppress a little bit of what would have been, you know, some absolute madness mm-hmm. as if it already wasn't. It's a good point in the first set of a match where you'd have a lot of paying customers that paid to see Djokovic, whether they like him or hate him. No doubt. Wouldn't have liked to see it that way. Well, we're on to Roland Garros already, and, and something that you said, interesting time of year. Really hope we don't see this again, but we got clay court tennis, a major, uh, in the fall in Paris, and uh, I, I'm very excited to see. We can kind of start with that condition, the conditions of the court, play, clay court tennis in the fall. It's not going to be as light later in the day there's some rain expected cold temperatures how do we brace ourselves for this as tennis fans just what we're supposed to what we're expecting to see well first of all thank goodness that there's now a roof on chatria Mm, and there are lights on at least 12 courts because the sun goes down significantly earlier in the fall than it does in the spring i think the average sundown is nearly two hours difference earlier so i think they're going to need those lights even though they won't schedule a night session this year uh, they will expect to schedule night sessions in 2021, but they're going to be playing under the lights. It's going to be cooler. There's rain in the forecast. I think Rafa Nadal came out today and said, you know, there's a new ball too. He said the ball is really heavy. The court is playing really slow, just incredibly slow conditions. And we're only going to have to wait and see who that affects and how it affects them. Certainly, certainly something to monitor, even Nadal who most people might think, well, he likes a, a, a slower court, not necessarily with some of the spins that he puts on his ball and how he likes to play. This is this is different. We're going to get into Rafa in a second, but the fans thing too. I, we're down to a thousand fans on the on the venue, and just the statement that was released. There seemed to be a little I don't want to say animosity, but definitely not thrilled was the French Open, the French Tennis Federation, that this was the decision. Well, look, this has been said. <laughs> The French Open changed its dates and didn't really tell anyone at first. Mm-hmm. So this has all been a series of surprises on both sides, right? right. The French Federation moved it to the fall, which turned out to be a prudent move, by the way, now that they can have a major. Originally, they devised plans to put on, I think, something, you know, 10-plus thousand fans split into three groups yeah. around the, the site. Then the French government came out and said, you can only have 5,000. So they said, okay, 5,000. Now it went down to 1,000, and it's not even 1,000 fans. It's 750 general public tickets, 200 tickets for sponsors, and another 50 for, shall we say, friends of the game. Right. Uh, in France, Nicholas Pereira on TC Live brought up the point of, you know, at what point is too little too little, and should you just go down to zero? Vika Azarenka has already come out and said she's worried about having fans Right. On site. Remember, the players that just came from the U.S. Open, some of them were skeptical about not having any fans at all. Most of them came out of the U.S. Open saying that felt really comfortable. Mm-hmm. Now I'm worried about opening it up at all because we've seen what can work. So we're going to see some really interesting emotional play, I think, right. early in this event. 
That's how the U.S. Open was. It took a couple rounds for the players. They were invested physically, but to kind of get their bearings, get a sense, and then I think you really saw them enjoy the bubble. And, and I was shocked hearing, you know, we had Nick Monroe on this podcast last week, just how positive the bubble experience was. Because you think that'd be the one thing that would keep them down or keep their spirits low, but they all came out of it feeling pretty good. I think John Wertheim really, another one of our Tennis Channel guys, really summed it up well. Because when you have a player winning a couple of matches, usually the next 48 hours becomes a complete whirlwind of media and maybe sewing on new mm -hmm. sponsor patches because you need more visibility and trying to pick up more money. Now, these players would play a match, especially the seated players, and then go to their luxury suite, which they never have an option of doing. That was wild. They had their own space, and then Just they could watching. go eat lunch and watch some tennis. Yep. I think they yeah. really ended up like, and it became their own personal playground. Mm -hmm. And I think the players really enjoyed that. Not that they don't want fans, but I think right. for a one-off, and now it's different in Paris, right? They're not going to have the run of the place. They're no. going to be... 750 general public people <laughs> around, but because of that small number of people, the players are going to be much more confined than they were at the U.S. Open. Two hotels, no private residency options for Serena or Djokovic or whoever else would have wanted it. And the local players, my understanding as well, they're on the hotel as mm -hmm. well. So that's something. All right, Russ Thaler, TC Live podcast. Here we go with the French Open. We're going to get to the draw here, but I do want to bring up, I mentioned his name earlier, Nick Monroe on the podcast last week when I pressed him about you know, European players that are staying, focusing on the clay, should we expect to see them kind of, you know, take run of the mill, take charge and have the best results? He said, oh, wait a second. There's nothing to really be replaced for match results and match toughness. Mm -hmm. Now, Simona Halep on the women's side to name one, obviously Rafa and Nadal are favorites for a reason. Clay court is their specialty. They can play well on other surfaces, but I think there is something to it. And we've seen it in the, in the run-up to, in the short run-up to the French Open, that the players like Victoria Azarenka that have matched toughness that have been out there, you know, they can have success on both services. They can adjust, and we might see them outshine some of their clay court counterparts. Yeah, I think we might see that, but then you have like a Gar Garbina Muguruza, who I think has looked tremendous on clay, and I would consider her a very dangerous player Oh yeah, going into the French Open. The one I'm really curious about is actually one who played at the U.S. Open. We haven't seen her yet, is Jen Brady. Her game, I think, translates really well to clay. Yeah. Um, and she just made an awesome run to the semifinals. Her confidence at the U.S. Open, her confidence has to be soaring at yeah. this point. She's in a brutal section of the draw with a lot of big hitters with Sabalenka and Muguruza and Kennan's floating around in that area too. Right. What's what's Kennan going to be like? <laughs> well, that yeah. She won a major <laughs> and then just got double bageled. Got double bageled on the clay, beat Serena on the clay last year, so we know she can play on that surface. Brady being, I mean, you mentioned her, probably the fastest rising star in the WTA clearly right now. How is she going to adjust? And we haven't seen, we haven't seen Serena play. We can start with the women's side because Simona Halep, at, I mean, we look at the odds, plus 250. This is about as clear of a favorite as we've seen in years going into a major. Do you think that's justifiable that she's a prohibitive favorite? I wouldn't call her, in my eyes, a mm -hmm. prohibitive favorite, but I agree yeah. of all the women, if you had to pick one. But here's the problem, and it's a good problem to have with women's mm -hmm. tennis. There are multiple slam winners in the draw. Mm -hmm. So we've seen a lot of women go from working their way up to being contenders to being champions. We already talked right. about you know, Garbini Muguruza. We've seen uh, the other way, too, where they win and then they flame out early. Well, that's yeah. part of the problem because we've seen, like, a Yelena Ostapenko, who actually had a really good week, I thought, in Strasbourg. Yeah. But we've seen women go through it, so we know they can. So right. when you look through the draw, there are a lot of these names where you say, oh, well, she could win. You know, you have Petra Kvitova, who probably doesn't like the fact that it's super slow, but 
you're talking about a multiple right. Grand Slam winner. And someone like Jen Brady, who I think most people with two eyes can see that she could win a major one day really soon, right? And Serena's in the draw. It's really hard to pick <laughs> one player on the women's side. It's different. I know we're going to get to the men. Yeah. But the men, you put Rafa at the top. The dude's won 12. And you put Djokovic <laughs> right behind him because the dude hasn't lost except when he got himself disqualified in the whole year. <laughs> with the women, it's a totally different right. thing, which makes it really fun to watch. It's hard to call something in up. There are going to be a lot of matches that will be really hard to predict as an upset or a favorite. But, yeah, sure, give Halep the, the favorite tag going into the event, but I don't think it's prohibitive in any way. She's about two and a half to one. Actually, you mentioned her, Garbini Muguruza's basically the second favorite to win this at plus 700. Then you go to the Vika Serena range and you're, mm -hmm. you're at, at plus a thousand and beyond. But I would, I would agree with most of what you said. The only thing I would add would be this field to me, seems like there are a lot of proven clay court players that have had success. Some of that you mentioned, I think the second, the first round's good, but I think the second, third, fourth rounds is that's where we're going to see some really good matchups. Cause once you get out of the first couple rounds if players handle business, which there is no guarantee, but there's some great matchups lined up early. Well, to your point, and to sort of button up this conversation, yeah. when you talk about Halep, a possible third-round matchup against Amanda Anisimova. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Who beat her in 2019. Yeah. Now, this is a very different Amanda Anisimova, unfortunately, because ever mm -hmm. since the passing of yeah. her dad, she hasn't really gotten back into that kind of form. But it's in her. We know she has it in her, and just condition response. You put those two back on the court again, I know that Halep would be looking for revenge, but Anna Samova knows that's a match she can win. That's pretty intriguing. It is. Uh, as far as first-round matchups, I don't want to undersell them. Conta Coco Goff stands oh, out it. to me. That's the type of player that Coco Goff is going to have to, I wouldn't say urgently, but is going to eventually have to learn how to beat those crafty, just true pro players. And you look at the draw, you think whatever comes out of this match is going to be feeling pretty good. That That's something with the women's game I, thought, I think doesn't get enough uh, attention, Russ, is that sometimes these first-round matchups, as tough as they are to stand, could to look at, could be the best thing that happened to some of these young ladies that if they win, then they're feeling confident and then they can just go on a tear. Yeah, that matchup, the one in particular, the Conta-Golf match, is a little bit of a tipping point match for mm -hmm. me. Because Kanta needs to prove to herself, I think, that she can still compete at the highest levels yeah. of the women's game. She's not far off, but she's also not far from falling off, I think. Some big wins and terrible losses. Exactly. Yeah. Goff is a player, I think, that should scare her. Mm -hmm. Because Coco's still a player playing, I think, with less internal pressure, or at least less obvious internal pressure. But those are, as you said, matches, I think, that Coco needs to start winning, and I think she will. I, I think Coco's going to get through in that, but it, I think it's a little bit of a tipping point match for both players. There's a few sections that are very intriguing. In the first round, though, does anything completely stand out to you as I, I got to see what happens or how this one shakes out? I think you were talking about another American, Jess Pagula, who had a really good hardcore summer, I for feel sure. like. And she gets Arena Sabalenka in the first round. Sabalenka had a great run in Strasbourg this week, and she lost in the semifinals to Svitolina. But she came from behind a lot, was a little bit inconsistent. Now, she was really happy, Sabalenka, with the way that she was able to adapt to not playing well. But I feel like Jess Pagula is a player that has the the fortitude and also the, the emotional capacity to jump on a player like Sabalenka if she's not playing well and not let her get back into the match. I could see – I'm really looking at that match as a possible upset – in the first round. Do you ever watch Sabalenka play and just 
you catch her at the right moments, and you're like, how is this not a top five player? Like, how is this not somebody that... Not even catch her in moments. You watch <laughs> her hit, hit a few balls, and you think, if she just plays her game, she's a little Serena-like in right. that the match is on her racket, mm-hmm. right? And if she is playing her game, like, pretty much yeah. none of the women can handle with her, handle hang with her yeah. athletically. I'd say Naomi Osaka is right. one that can. But no, Sabalenka has top five talent, but you know it's all in the head and it is. in the form. Saw her in Asia in one of the tournaments last year. Beat Kvitova, pretty much pushed her around, which you never ever see to win a title there. We're going to obviously focus on the draw and look at what could happen with Vika and Serena playing again, although much earlier this time. The Serena side of this is uh, is very fascinating because Clay hasn't given her the best results in recent memory. Also, think worth noting to point out, Russ. This is as late in the calendar year as we've seen her playing a lot of times. She usually shuts it down after the mm-hmm. U.S. Open. I know there's been rust. It's a it's a crazy year, but I don't I don't know if I'm feeling feeling thrilled. I should say looking at the draw and Serena on clay in this uh, French Open. In the fall. I would hope, and look, it's impossible to get into yeah. someone else's head, but I would hope Serena puts a little less pressure on herself internally mm-hmm. going into this event, and just say, you know what, I love Paris. I know I can't stay in my apartment. I have to stay in the hotel mm-hmm. in the bubble. But I'm going here for the experience. I'm going to enjoy myself, and I'm not going to put so much pressure on myself to win this thing because I know that pressure was there for the U.S. Open. And she was so close to it getting to the semifinals and a great semi against mm. Vika Azarenka, who stepped up her game mm. to beat Serena. I would hope, and I hope for Serena, to come in a little bit lighter. Lighter meaning in the head. Yeah. Not so heavy with the expectations on her shoulders. I don't know if that's possible, considering her makeup, what got her to 23, but she has nothing to prove, I don't think, to anyone in the game but herself to get to number 24. And I'm not sure Paris is the place that people would pick her to do it. But maybe if she comes in with a little less expectations, maybe a little more lightness to her, her game, maybe it could be. Well, the good thing for her, I guess, if you want to make call it a good thing, is she won't have to scout new opponents because she could play basically half the same draw <laughs> with Christiane in the first round, could get Parankova again, Azarenka in the fourth I think you know, Serena was third round last year where she lost to Kennan, and Kennan played a heck of a match, really, really the best that we've seen her on clay. Getting to the fourth round and playing Vika would still not be, obviously she's playing for majors, but would, would be, in my opinion, a good showing to show that she could come in with no tune-up, play on the clay, adjust to the settings, show up lighter in the head, as you said. But when you get to that Vika match in the fourth round, if it does happen, it, her adjusted same things. Her adjusted mentality, how she's just taken this new approach on life, has transformed her tennis. Because I can't recall her looking this good since at least, and I'll, I'll put that preface there, at least that Aussie Open she won. I think Vika said it herself at the U.S. Open. She's been humbled, right? Mm-hmm. She said her ego got really big. Yeah. And once her ego shrunk, and boy, did she have to endure a lot and still endures a lot in her life for that ego yeah. to shrink. Uh, she said the results have started coming. And it's a beautiful thing to see. It's one of those things in tennis we get to watch people grow up, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times when we talk about that, you think about like Naomi Osaka, really, someone who's still really young but has really matured in the last several months and grown into her sort of position of power, right? Mm -hmm. And her ability to enable it and to embrace it. With Vika, it's a different story. It's a longer arc, right? We saw Vika as a kid, and winning majors and getting all the way up to the very top of the game. And then things outside of tennis are things that pushed her off. And to see her come back as a more mature person, we talked about her being a mom. There were a lot of moms at the U.S. Open this year. But just seeing her mature, it's like exactly what you said. I remember her when. 
And when I see her now, the transformation is stark. It's really cool. And it's one of those things that we really have been able to do in tennis. We should feel really fortunate about that. We've been able to see a lot of these players grow into themselves right in front of us. Even I was shocked by how well she played on the clay after losing the U.S. Open final dramatic fashion. Gets on a plane, looks great. Yeah. <laughs> bagel, bagel, Kenan, and is, is deservedly so the third favorite in this tournament. The amazing thing to me about that double bagel against Kenan was that Kenan tried. And Kenan tried everything. There was a lot of deuce games. There was a lot of game points for Kenan. Totally. Yeah. And Kenan's one of the most creative and competitive players on tour. Kenan, I think, enjoys trying to figure out the chess game of right. tennis. And she tried all of her moves. And Vika had an answer for every single one. Azarenka won that match, love and love. Kennan didn't didn't quit. Kennan didn't really have that bad of an off day. That's just how slim the margins are yeah. at the top level of tennis. And Kennan could turn around and do that to Vika the next day. That's how good these players are. Azarenka also learning how hard it is to get back into the top 10, top 20 with how the draws are. Because she ran into oh. a brutal sledding in all those <laughs> tournaments. She, played. she was getting Serena, Halep early in a lot of tournaments. You know, it's funny. You were talking about, we talked earlier, right, about yeah. Coco Goff and Joe mm -hmm. Conta. That was the big story about Vika. She kept getting Serena early <laughs> at Indian Wells. They played yeah. a great two-set yeah. match, right, at Indian Wells a couple years yeah. ago. Oh, yeah. And it was like, Vika can't get away from these tough... You know what? At some point, you have to start winning those matches if you want to jump up and get to the point where you don't have to play right, them, right? A close loss doesn't get you anything. No, it only gets you the respect of your people. <laughs> Yeah. And, the, and the pundits, but it doesn't get you an easier first-round <laughs> mm -hmm. match the next week, and it doesn't get you into the draw because you don't get the points. So she made it through that. She fought through the tough draws to give herself an opportunity to get deeper into slams. Coco Goff's going to have to do the same thing. She plays Joe Conta, seated player. She's going to have to start beating those players. So Coco's going to be in a position this year, or in 2021, where she could move into a seated position at slams. I'm excited to hopefully see that, and it is about being consistent because she's mm -hmm. proven her level can play with and beat just about anyone. But to make those that climb up the rankings, especially now when points aren't going to fall off, it's going to be week tough. Out. Yep. Before we move to the men's side of things, Russ Taylor on the TC Live podcast, what other women uh, in this draw, maybe the other half of the draw, which we haven't really focused on, do you expect could make some runs? Because it, it's interesting seeing that two-seed Pliskova who's – was the U.S. Open's one seed, has had success on clay, probably isn't playing her best tennis. You have Sabalenka, Kvitova over there. Anybody stand out at you on that side of the draw? Man, you know, look, I think Elise Mertens is a player that's been playing some best tennis of her life, I'd say. I'd call her a dangerous floater. But at the French Open, we've seen, you know, Von Drusseva getting to a final, right? Like, it seems to be the one, right, where you're going to have a semifinalist yeah, probably unseated. Who comes out of not yeah. nowhere yeah. To, to all of you listening to yeah. this, but comes out of nowhere in the grand scheme of things. And I would say Elise Mertens could be that player considering her form. Yeah. Uh, you know, but she, look, she's in the same section of the draw as Serena Williams. So, you know, who knows? Maybe. But Elise Mertens could be one of those people that could knock off a player like Serena on her day. Muguruza at that 11 seed, that number seems odd given how she's played. And, and just she looks like she's in much better shape, too. I saw her on the court, and it was like, okay, this could be a chance. It's it's a good section of the draw. Look, is a player, I think a lot of us are wondering why she doesn't have more majors, mm -hmm. right? She's got all that in her. Yeah. You know, and would it shock anyone in the tennis world if Garbina comes out and wins the French? I don't think so. McKennan's another one, too. You mentioned her, but this is a very nice section for her if she can get her head on straight and I think come at that right I, I love watching Kennan play. I just love watching her think through a match, and I love her competitiveness. I, do, I wonder about the conditions and how they'll affect a player like Kennan 
slower conditions, heavier conditions, with a player with less power than some of the, the, the other top players. It hasn't obviously hurt her in the sense that she won the Australian Open, but how will that affect her at Roland Garros this year in the fall in Paris? We're going to see. Yeah. One other player I just want to add before we go to the men is uh, Ange Jabor. Love her game. I love how she plays. She's going to drive someone nuts. See, that's the thing. <laughs> that's, that's a hard out. No one wants to see in their draw. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe. More than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out. The Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. All right, men's side yep. of the French Open, Russ Thaler, Mitch Michaels, TC Live podcast. A little different than the women, I would say. We do this a lot, but you have three favorites that stand alone. You have the guy in Rafa Nadal that's won 12 of these things. You have the guy, Novak Djokovic, that has one official loss, and it was under different circumstances and you have the guy that won the last major Dominic team who comes in at a slightly distant third on the uh, betting odds at about plus 400 Nadal coming in as the favorite plus 110 and Djokovic in that 200 range but those three coming in Russ the big thing always is the draw what side is team going to be in and he is in Rafa's side yeah, I mean, look, he was either going to be in Rafa's <laughs> side or he was going to be in Novak's side. And their, other, and their fans are going to be upset, whoever I gets him. Look, I think that's overblown. <laughs> yeah. He was going to be on one of their sides, mm-hmm. and he won't face either of them until the semifinals. Yeah. Look, and if team gets to the semifinals and Rafa's there, well, Dominic knows that he's going to have to go through Rafa to win the tournament, whether it's in the final four or the final two. Mm-hmm. The more interesting thing to me is Rafa, Novak, and as you said, a bit of a distant third team, and that's the list. Those are the only three players people are talking about as potential winners of this event, and that's the Rafa Nadal effect, I think, that's and a credit true. and a credit to Novak Djokovic to put himself in that conversation at the French Open as a as a you know number two favorite to Rafa is a thing, and I think I would love honestly I'd love to see that final if Djokovic wow. plays yeah. Rafa in the final, Novak not having lost in twenty twenty except the disqualification at the U.S. Open. Rafa going for El Trece, the 13th, That's or La yeah. Trece, yeah. As, it, as it may be. I know it's redundant in a way because we've seen those names, but... To me, that's the story that needs to be told, I think, at this year's French Open. I was trying to figure out if there was a way, to, if, while this winning streak was going on before the U.S. Open, is there a way to motivate a guy who hasn't lost? And now we have it where he has, hasn't been beaten, playing maybe the best tennis of his life, has the, the issue at the U.S. Open, a chance to win a Grand Slam, and, and, and you know he's come out and said it, like he's chasing that record. Oh, yeah. If that is the final, it's going to be something crazy. You, you mentioned the Rafa effect, and, and team being in that mix as well, deservedly so, has been the second-best player on clay the last couple of years. This is what I always thought when we compared you know, Roger and Rafa coming up. Being the second-best player on clay doesn't get you as much as you think. It gets you a lot of head-to-head ro- losses with Rafa where team has kind of been in that stage where he's proven that he can beat anybody else on clay pretty consistently. But when you're going against what Rafa Nadal's done and what he continues to do, it, it it makes it to where you know what to you know what you got in front of you. It's I think I heard Paul Anacone say maybe the toughest task in sports is to beat Rafael Nadal on clay. Yeah, not just clay. Best of five on clay because mm. we just saw Diego Schwartzman take out Rafa in straight sets and he played two amazing sets. 
I love Diego Schwartzman, but I have a hard time seeing him play at that level for another set against Rafa Nadal at Roland yeah. Garros. We've seen Dominic Team beat Rafa Nadal in straight sets on clay. A couple times. Leading up to the French Open, yeah. right? It's a whole different animal trying to win three sets from that guy. Same thing with Djokovic, right? It's like two guys that don't seem to tire and their level <laughs> doesn't seem to wane when you get deep into matches. That's what makes them the greats that they are. Absolutely agree with that. Uh, one note on Rafa, you never, you, you know, even with a guy like Nadal, you know it's never going to last forever, even though it might think, might think like it will be. It was Nico Pereira who, who mentioned the fact that he, it's not a full gone full conclusion lock for Nadal, and part of the, the, the issue for concern might be the fact that this is a unique experience. This is not the clay court season that he's had his entire life. He's very meticulous is a nice way of putting it. He is a man bound by routines, I would say. You could say that again. Anybody that's seen him with the water bottles and how he walks off the court avoiding the lines know that, but that is what's made him as great as he's become. But he's not playing the same number of tournaments. It's a different time of year. Mm -hmm. The conditions are different on the court and off the court. Do you expect this to factor in maybe sure. more? Absolutely. All of it. Okay. And Rafa Nadal came out and said himself, these are the most difficult conditions that he's had to play in at the French Open. He's not the only one dealing with them. A brand new ball this year, which Rafa said is pretty heavy. It's cold and wet, and it's going to be cold and wet at least for the first week, which makes the conditions even heavier. Things move slower through the air. How is that going to affect Rafa? You know he's going to dig in. You know he's going to compete on every point. That's just Rafa Nadal. How will it affect his game? We're going to have to see. Does it open the door for some other players? I guess we're, we're going to find out. It's just hard to envision it. We've seen It's too much of the same story at, at the French Open to discount Rafa too yeah. greatly, you know? Yeah, no matter what happens in the last event leading up to it, he's going to find a way to adjust. Well, that's the thing. Like, I find myself like, and I don't know if you do this too, but you're almost like creating obstacles, right? You're creating a reason to pick someone else or a reason to think someone no, else. Is yeah. But it's like it's every been, year, Rafa is... It's been the safest... It's been the most consistent thing in tennis history. Nadal's yeah. in the French Open. He's just going to win it. Yeah. And it happens more times than not. Uh, yeah, all due respect to everybody else in the field. Sitsipas maybe being that number four... I think so. He's looked really good coming on. I'm actually yeah. really impressed by Stefanos coming After, on. That was play. the most brutal loss. Well, definitely I called this that year. match. Oh. I called that match. That was nuts. Talk about how different something would have been with fans. First of all, that would have been, and we're talking about George Tsitsipas. 5 1 in the fourth. Tsitsipas is up two sets to one. Serving at 40 love, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> they don't Loops. make live odds that high. No, and the weirder <laughs> thing was he's arguing with his dad who's behind him, and yeah. they, they move the player's box to directly behind the court. His dad is talking to him before every point, whether he's serving or returning. His dad's not stopping talking. He's yelling back at him in Greek. Then he's yelling back at him in Russian. They're yelling at each other. His dad walks up into the concourse. He's on his phone now, his dad, while yeah. Stefanos is blowing match points. All right, if this happens and they're fans, half of them are drunk, and the place is going bananas, and it's just absolute <laughs> lunacy. This was in a quiet arena, totally nuts, but in a, like Stefanos, yeah. I was worried that that was going to linger. Like, just that entire experience right. with Borna George. And he lost and his first match on clay when he made the flight over. He did. And now he's looked really good in Hamburg. And he's even said, like, he feels really comfortable and happy to be back on the clay. And Tsitsipas is a guy that, he's look, he's one of the few that you look at and you say, this guy could break through. Yeah. Right? Zverev's the other one. And he almost did at the U.S. Open. But Tsitsipas is right there. I know he's, you know, a fourth. But 
he's got a full game and he's got star potential if he can pull through here. Well, <laughs> I mean, I, you don't have to sell me on Sitsipas' greatness, but it just does seem hard to think that outside of the top three, and I, and I don't even want to discredit Rafa and Novak to say maybe two and a half with team because we haven't seen him go the distance on the, in this tournament. Well, I mean, he's but, gotten to the finals the last yeah. year team. You know, he's he been in the final last year's lost to, to Rafa. He has. He can do it. But, no, I think Tito and, and can Tsitsipas do it over seven matches, right? Can he, can he keep it together and not have it, you know, he's sort of a try. He's like a little bit of a fly to light, right? He attracts yeah. a little bit of craziness sometimes. I don't think intentionally, but it just sort of happens around him. And it gets him going. I mean, he plays some of his best tennis sometimes. He does. He's not, <laughs> I, he's not like a Medvedev who I think actually f- is fueled by that. Which is funny because those two guys don't really particularly <laughs> yeah. enjoy each other's company. Yeah, Medvedev um, is fueled by the passive-aggressive comments at the umpire. And, you know, yeah, but, but, but and Medvedev, by the way, never won a match at Roland Garros. 0-3 lifetime in the main draw at the French Open. Looked really not so good against Hugo and Bear no. uh, in Hamburg. He's just not comfortable on the slow courts. His very flat ball doesn't penetrate the court. I can see him going out pretty early in this event. He hasn't. I agree with you there, though. One stat that is misleading: I don't think Rublev has won one on clay either mm-hmm. at the French Open, and he's looked pretty good this year. So he's transformed his game. Russ Thaler, TC Live podcast. I actually had a lot of first round matchups that I circled for for good ones on the men's side. I Let's think talk about some good ones. Um, Got to start with a champion on here and a multi major champion playing each other in the first round. Look, I think Murray's. <laughs> this is really tough for Stan, actually. Yeah, he I doesn't think, look great. Well, he hasn't looked great, and also, I think right now, Murray's body is good for one hard match. I think we saw that at the U.S. Open. Uh, Felix Auger-Aliassime really took Murray apart when they mm-hmm. played, and that yeah. was after Murray had come through a really tough match coming back, right, right from two sets down. Um, but he's catching Murray right at the beginning of this event, and Andy Murray is a champion. And if he's, if he's in form, that could be a doozy of a first-round match. Stan's always, even when he's been up to form, hasn't been dealing with injuries in his major runs, It's like a, he's like a slow engine that needs to kind of rev up. Like He kind of has some of his toughest matchups early on. He's, the backhand might not be calibrated right. He makes a lot of unforced errors. I agree. I, I, I like Murray a lot in this matchup because I think Murray will put all the hours in before, mm-hmm. get prepped up, and just lay it all on the line. I mean, be prepared to almost essentially die out there to win that first match. And then it's, what do you have left? Which, unfortunately, has been much after. Well, that's the thing. I could see Murray winning and then falling in, in the second round. But if Stan comes out and finds his form and wins this match, he could make a run. Like, this could be a confidence booster Yeah. for Stan Wawrinka. The funniest thing is that the two of them practiced the day before the draw came out. Murray and Vavrenka, yeah. <laughs> they were practicing together, having no idea that that was going to be, or maybe they did have an idea, uh, that that was going to be a first-round matchup. You got to be careful with the draw conspiracy theory. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I fueled it on my own a couple of times. But uh, <laughs> Team Chilich is an interesting one, too, that you brought up because we haven't seen team play since the US Open. I know it's been a short break, and this is somebody that's lived on the tennis courts almost quite literally. I don't expect, obviously, because there wasn't as big of a media whirlwind that it's going to affect him too much. For Chile, it's almost like a last stand. Like, this is, you know. Well, uh, I mean, how much how much expectation is yeah. Chile putting upon himself at Roland Garros? Mm-hmm. This is probably his, I, I won't say least favorite, but it's sort of his least obvious. Definitely effective. least successful, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so... I would think this should be a Chilich willing to swing freely, but also not coming in with high expectation. Honestly, I expect team to win that in three or four sets. I, I expect him just to move through. 
Yeah, we uh, talked we talked about that on TC Live today. You guys did how the draw might not be as tough as it seems on the onset looking at team to before you get to the the big match. Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing to me with team is like he could have Riley Opelka in the second round. Like we just don't know what the conditions are going to do. There's there is a theory out there that the slower conditions actually help the big servers and big hitters because a guy like John Isner or a Riley Opelka can serve through a slower court, so their serve won't be affected, but it gives the bigger guys more of a chance to get to balls and set up and do damage off the ground. And both Opelka and Isner have some big forehands that they can do damage with. So if that's the case, and if team, you know, because team hits the ball a ton, yeah. but if his ball's sitting up and it gives Riley Opelka a chance, that could be mm. a tricky match for him. Some of the other ones that I did circle were Monfils and Bublik. Oh. love watching this Bublik kid love play. Love Bublik. Monfils is one that, it's what, two matchups, two losses that when, since we've seen him. I don't think he's won since he's kind of come back. He might have one in there, but he didn't look great losing in the first round at Hamburg. I'm not sure what to expect there. I also have one circle, Dan Evans and Kaney Shikori in mm. the first round is one that you're not used, used to seeing. And then another one. You mentioned Medvedev's poor record. Fusevich on clay in the first round is not a gimme. <laughs> so no, Fucevich, how about you know, Fucevich came through that incredible, like nearly five hour match uh at the US Open. Yeah. And um against Baby Fed. We'll call him that from <laughs> years back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Fucevich is gonna be right. I actually think Fucevich is gonna beat Medvedev. I just do. Mm -hmm. Um I am really interested in um what was the first match you were talking about? The first one that you brought up. Monfils Bublik. Monfils Bublik. Oh, yeah. First of all, love Alexander Bublik. He is growing up, another guy who's growing up in front of our eyes, really young young guy from Russia, plays for Kazakhstan, has all the tricks of a Nick Kyrgios and would go for the big second serves, and he seems to be growing up, figuring out when maturing. to use the shot. He's maturing in yeah. front of our eyes. Also seems like a really nice guy. Like, just his interactions with, with people off the court and the way he's acting on the court. Uh, he's really growing up, but he I know he looks towards Monfils right. as a guy who plays a little bit like him, a little bit of a showman. Like, I hope he doesn't try to impress the Frenchman. On, you know they're going to play on Chatrier in the late afternoon. Right. And Monfils, now he won't have a massive crowd behind him, but it's still a big deal. And I hope that Bublik can contain himself. Because if he can, I actually think Bublik can win this match. Yeah, that's a good point about not having a crowd. What impact is that going to make on the French players that we've seen almost as much as the U.S. Open with American players? They That is an uplifting effect on the French players. It does, it and it also that. can be a suffocating effect, right? Because yeah. the French crowd so yeah. desperately <laughs> yeah. wants their guy to win. Monfils loves performing for a crowd. How is it going to affect him without one, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe we saw it in Hamburg. There were some fans there, but there will be almost no one you know, when he's playing at the French Open. Yeah, I, I'm just looking at parts of the draw and parts of the matchups that we could see that would be exciting. And that quarterfinal or potential quarterfinal matchup where it would be Tsitsipas and Shapovalov. Oh, goodness. Please. That would be awesome. Yeah, no, that's the best. <laughs> that's what's best for tennis. Yeah, that's right. Really if those two can play in the quarterfinals, mm -hmm. those are two guys who could win majors this year, next. It's coming, right? Shabavalov has figured out how to sort of keep his flashy game within the lines, and now he's in the top 10 and has the firepower to beat anyone in the world on any given day. And Tsitsipas, I think, is knocking on the door, too. Boy, I want to see that. Yeah. I want to see that match really badly. Do you think Rublev breaks through this year on the clay, gets a couple wins? That's it's also the, the Medvedev section. Medvedev, who... I know that you know, Nico Pereira is really high on Rublev in that section of the draw. 
And uh, far be it from me to argue with him on that one. Rublev looks, I, Rublev looks really good. You know, I didn't mention another first-round match that I wanted to get your opinion on just because I'd like to see Francis Tiafo. Oh, yeah. Struff is not a slouch, and that is, we're in that uh, set, again, where you're not a seeded player, you could kind of run into some, doesn't have to be the top players, but you could run into some tough matchups. Early. Francis is now in the position where he needs to win matches like this, right? Like, Francis should be up, yeah. I think Francis should be, is good enough that he should be seeded at majors, yeah. that he should be contending for round of 16, that kind of stuff, you know, quarterfinals, and we've seen him do it once, right, in mm-hmm. Australia. Uh, I think it's a brutal first-round matchup for Francis. I think Jan Leonard Struff is really good. Um, and, and it's just going to be a matter if Francis can hang in there long enough and make the rallies long enough to give Struff problems. That's how I think Francis can win that match. If he hangs in there and is patient, and Francis has really been you know, working on a lot of stuff. He looked. I thought Francis looked spectacular at the U.S. Open until he ran into team and ran out of ideas. Um, but... Yeah. I, I, it's a really hard matchup, I think, for Francis in the first round. And as far as the big three in this tournament go, no disrespect to Roger, obviously, you got Nadal, Djokovic, and team in this one. Mm-hmm. Where's the first resistance come for each? Where's the first point where we're going to say, okay, this is this is a, this is a challenging match because this is where the Nadal draw may look a, a little difficult if you get to Zverev in the quarterfinals. Djokovic spoils of being the top seed. But. I think Djokovic, his first... If Hubie Hercotch can get through Tennis Sangren in the first round, that's no gimme. Because Sangren's shown that feels he feels like a long match, doesn't it? Right, like it feels like a long one. But if Hercotch can get through that, I think Hubie Hercotch could be Djokovic's first trouble. That would be in the third round. Yeah. He's a good player. Um, and I think that would be Novak's first trouble because I'm looking at the rest of his quarter, and I don't see a ton more besides before he would get to Berrettini. And that's at the bottom. He's you know Berrettini's on the other end of that I, portion I of the draw. I'm not, I'm not buying Berrettini just yet on clay. I'm still not. Points will be too looks long. Good points will be long. You got RBA down there who did lose today, but guys like him, Pablo Carina Busta, like I just don't. I don't know about Berrettini on this surface. Yeah, yet. well, it'll be interesting for good first round matchup with Vasek Pospisil. Two guys. What a run he had at the U.S. Oh, great run. Both guys love the hard courts, I think, a little more than the clay. But Berrettini, the Italian, I don't know, Italian tennis is just looking good right now. People have, like, already forgot about Yannick Sinner for some reason. Like, people haven't really forgotten about him. But, like, that that kid is really good. And now you throw Musetti in, Italian tennis is looking good for a number of years now. So he gets, ooh, I should have mentioned that one as well. Sinner go fam first round. Yeah, unfortunate draw for both of them, right? Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's a pick them to me. Pick them match. match. Popcorn match. Like, that's a match to watch on Tennis Channel or TC+. Center's been, yeah, center's <laughs> been getting some some tough draws there. Well, that's that, he's another one of those guys. Yeah. Got to start winning those matches. He does. He does. Uh, Nadal would get, as we mentioned, Zverev in the quarter, which we expect him to get there. Alexander Zverev coming off of mentally how you deal with a loss like that and then have to pick yourself up on the clay is a tough task made exponentially harder by the fact that he could get to Nadal when the matches get He could high look he could also get to Alex Diminor, you know, earlier in yeah. the event. And Diminor is a person who will make Zverev play his full game for as long as Zverev yeah. can keep it up. See that's the thing on this clay, you can't hit Diminor off the court. Right? Like Diminor, that's what he ran into team at the US Open. There was just too much firepower on the other side mm-hmm. of the net. On clay I think Sasha's going to have to sort of revisit some of the demons. He's going to have to figure out a way to win a match when he can't hit someone off the court. 
And that is going to be, I think that is the first huge test and will be a really telling test to see where Sasha Zverev's head is. Those team returns where he was just so far back, chipping a lot of those bomb serves in. It's very, you could see he lost confidence as that match went on. Right, and that's the thing. When yeah. the balls keep coming back mm-hmm. and coming back and coming back, where does, it, I, sometimes I wonder if it's lost confidence or if it's just raised nerves, right? If he starts right. getting alligator arms. And team, we, we kind of mentioned his draw. Do want to give a shout-out to Casper Ruud. He's been playing some great tennis. Look, that's a brutal matchup. Like, <laughs> I, I, early, like yeah. Casper Ruud and team, like it's unfair, you know, to both guys. Casper right. Ruud. Casper a little under the radar, I think, in mainstream tennis world. He's the pride of Norway. His dad was a tremendous player. But Casper's making a name for himself. He's and he, already And he's went out and won those matches. You said got himself seated. Yeah. I mean that's a tough the thing. time. And now he's getting, you know, some draws. And obviously team in the third round isn't great, but he's got potential to, and again, mainstream might not know it, but break into the top twenty, top fifteen, mm-hmm. maybe even top ten. He's still relatively young. You've got Felix over there. With the French-Canadian roots, maybe the French crowd, if there was one, would have kind of taken to him. But. I, you know what? I'm not – look, he's, <laughs> Felix is 20 years old. Like, yeah. he, you watch him play, and he, and you, you see him interact, and he almost seems so much you know, older mm-hmm. than that. He's, yeah. like, wise beyond his years. I'm actually waiting for his game to catch up to his personality. Right. I haven't seen a plan B from Felix yet. He sort of plays his game, and it's good enough and athletic enough, and he hits hard enough that he can beat most guys, even – Staying consistent, but when it's not working, it really yeah. was troubling. I thought against team, you know, he, that one and one in the second and third set to me was much less competitive than the O and O that Kennan lost yeah. to Azarenka on clay because I felt like Kennan was trying different things. Mm-hmm. I felt watching Felix against team that Felix didn't know what to try. First set tiebreaker doesn't go his way, and then, and then was, yeah, and I then do? just kind of yeah. tried to do the same stuff. It didn't work and never changed. Yeah, it worries me on clay where you have to think more and you have to come up with the Rubik's cube and. Mm-hmm. And figure it out. I don't know if he's there yet to do that on clay. I hope he is, but I like he needs to prove that to himself. I think. Well, Russ Thaler, this was a blast. Uh, before before I let you go, just one other point on the on the men's bracket where I want to kind of wrap this all up and why I think, unfortunately, it seems like it's a three horse race to go the distance. You look at guys like Nadal, Djokovic, and team who's earned the right to be in this conversation. The fitness level to be able to just go shot for shot, hour for hour. Those guys are up there. And with team, I noticed the transformation in the U.S. Open, Russ. Get those free points on your serve. And can anybody else challenge Rafa and Djokovic? I don't think so. But team has the ability, grew up on the clay, can absolutely win this tournament. Tall task for sure to go through Djokovic and Nadal. But uh, if anybody else is up for it, it's him. I would suspect that Djokovic wouldn't mind seeing a Team Nadal semifinal and seeing Team in five. Rafa's still the favorite. Dude, until someone beats Rafa at Roland Garros, Rafa's the favorite. He's the man there. His confidence is sky high, even when he tries to disarm. Like, I remember when Team beat him at Aussie Open, and I was like, oh, he's younger than me. It happens. It's like, it's, it's almost incredible how guys like, the big three, even no, Novak, when he is upset, unless the emotions go, how they can just, they lose when they do happen, they just on to the next one. They get knocked off their pedestal, they get right back to work, and they're back here again. Can I just throw <laughs> something right, totally random out to you? Like, so we have the Billie Jean King USTA National mm-hmm. Tennis Center, Roland Garros, obviously yeah. named after Roland Garros. Yeah. We have Rod Laver Arena and the courts named after yeah. players in Australia. And and, and Chatrier and Long Island, all that stuff. They're going to have to name something after Rafa at Roland Garros, aren't they on the grounds at some point? They, I yeah. mean, the guy—it's uh-huh. like his home. 
what do you name after him? Like, do you name the grounds? Do you <laughs> name, like, because he is Spanish, he's not French. The whole clay court swing should be named yeah, after the, him. Yeah, the I Nadal mean, clay court season. That's I mean, what it that's should be. That's basically the Ra- what the season The Rafa Nadal European clay court season. Okay. I, I think we might just refer to clay courts as like Rafa courts Rafa's, or something from now on. Because like, yeah. well, no, I mean. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no we're, we're done. We're done with the sunshine double. You know, now we're heading to the Rafas. It's like. <laughs> like we just call it the Rafas. Could you imagine? I, I wasn't around when this was going on, but when Borg was dominant on clay, could you told someone that, yeah, someone's going to come around in your lifetime. And it's going to be twice as good, or it's going to have, I shouldn't say twice as good, but have twice as many accomplishments as this guy. Well, I mean, look, how would that even be possible? Even Sampras <laughs> said, like, I thought, I thought my number would last for you know generations, and here, you know, a few years later, two guys are passing. Yeah, it's the Paul Anacone uh, question: Who's the next guy that's going to pass Pete Sampras in major titles? Like, when will that happen again? We've seen three do it in the last, you know, twelve years. Well, it's going to take a while because nobody's had much of a head start. Dominic Team just winning his first, just turned 27 years old. He doesn't have a whole lot of time to, to catch up. It's going to be either one of the youngins or someone that we don't even know yet. That's the thing. Just picking Some up 10 a year old, right? Just picking up a racket. Russ, this was fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the podcast. We'll have to do this again and see how these French Open thoughts panned out. Here we go. Let's enjoy two weeks in Paris. That was the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Remember to check out all your podcast platforms for this and every episode. We'll be back next week with a halftime report halfway through the French Open. See where we stand there. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.